going on, Hoop fans? This is another edition of Pick and Pod, WFUV's basketball podcast, giving you the latest in the world of basketball. I am your host, Andrew Posadas, alongside me for episode 13 this week, the one and only Thomas Aiello. Aiello, my friend, how are you? I'm doing good, Andrew. I'm really excited to be back. Um, the Knicks police is here, and we're going to be talking <laughs> about them today. I'm excited to jump into NBA trade madness with you. And uh, boy, it feels good to, to just be back on the pick and pot after a nice little hiatus. Oh, my God. Good to have you back. And you did mention the New York Knicks. We'll get to them a little bit later. Obviously, they are doing some phenomenal things, exceeding our expectations. Aiello and I will talk about how real the Knicks are and what we should expect from them moving forward. We'll also touch on AD and the Lakers in the West Coast. Obviously, big news with his injury and that strained calf. We'll talk about what the Lakers and LeBron are going to have to do in the next two to three weeks to kind of keep the boat afloat especially in the West with some of those teams out there who are gaining ground and, and who are proving to be among the elite in the NBA this season. And we'll get into some other stuff around the league, touch on some hot takes. Uh, I know Aiello's got some in the chamber. I've got some thoughts of my own we'll get to towards the end. But, but Aiello, I want to start off with what we heard on Monday night from Draymond Green. Uh, the Golden State Warriors beat the Cleveland Cavaliers 129-98 on Monday night, but the major news was what happened post-game in the Zoom press conferences and from Draymond Green, who really voiced his displeasure with how the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, with their decision to sit center Andre Drummond until they find a trade for them before the March 25th deadline. Uh, This is what Draymond had to say. He said, quote, and it's the treatment of players in this league. To watch Andre Drummond before the game sit on the sidelines, then go back to the bench and to come out in street clothes because a team is going to trade him, it's bull bleep. And Draymond went on for a couple more minutes talking about the double standard that's in the league where teams can come out and publicly say that they're going to sit players because they're looking to trade them. But yet when players like a James Harden, someone who we mentioned, but when they want to come out and demand a trade that, you know, they get castigated and criticized for it. And of course, Draymond himself was fined uh, when he was on uh, TNT. And he said that Devin Booker at the time should get traded, should find a way out of Phoenix. And I'm sure Devin doesn't want to now with how good the Suns have played this season. But Aiello, when you think of what Draymond Green is talking about the double standard and players needing more of a say and going where they want to. And if they are unhappy moving on from their team, what do you think about Draymond's words and the validity to some of the things that he was talking about? Well, Andrew, you know, it's a tough spot to be in, especially for a guy like Draymond Green, who I think at one point you and I can agree was considered one of the best, if not the best defensive player. Uh, in the NBA oh, yeah. on those championship Golden State teams. Obviously, he won a defensive player of the year, um, instrumental to their success in those two championships, as well as a 2015 one. But I do understand what Draymond is saying. When it comes to the double standard for players such as a Harrison Barnes, an Andre Drummond, uh, a Blake Griffin, who's been in trade talks recently, you can talk about, I guess, Alfred Payton, if you really want to go there. And some of those mid to lower echelon level players, because 
they're not necessarily the league's number one money makers. And I think you have to look at this from a business perspective because here's where everyone, I guess, sort of gets tripped up with the, um, you know, the ESPN media hype, as well as things like Instagram, Twitter can be very deceptive um, because Draymond Green is not the best player on any team. In fact, he's probably your fourth best player on a playoff team. If we can be totally honest here, because he's not going to create shots. He's not going to carry a load on offense. He's going to play defense. He's going to basically plug holes that need to be filled that most teams can't exactly find in a player like him. But when we talk about the double standard, it comes down to the superstar treatment. And we see this all the time with the referees. For example, the, I'm going to use the Jordan push-off in the 98 finals. As iconic as of a shot as that was, and as much as a Jordan fan that I personally am, that's a push-off. That would be a foul for if there was any other player. But it's Michael Jordan. It was game six, and it created the most iconic moment in the NBA in the past, I don't know, 20-plus years. You can say. I think we can agree with that. Yeah. But, um, you know, the superstars, they're the ones making the money. And now that the NBA is a global game that markets its number one players, and, and they have most of them now in their top three markets, you can't run the risk of agitating them. And we saw the other night when LeBron um, flopped and he only got a warning. Mm -hmm. But if that was, say, a Duncan Robinson or like a Marcus Smart, somebody Marcus who's Smart, known right? for that. Yeah. He's racked up a lot of fines for flopping. Anyone else, boom, you're fine. No, LeBron, oh, you, you get a warning. You you gotta you have to protect your assets. And that's what I think the NBA is gonna do here. But Draymond is absolutely correct with the double standards thing. I, I feel like all the players should have equal treatment, but the reality is their superstar treatment and that's just been been the way it's been for years but now it's more magnified with social media yeah th there's a lot to take from this uh on my end just listening to to his words uh monday night in that zoom uh in that zoom meeting and i would say this i i'm all for the players you know getting theirs obviously they make the league what it is they deserve as much money as they can get and they deserve to be in a destination that they want to play in. They deserve to be in a city, you know, playing for a contender and being content in the process. Uh, but, but that's something that you negotiated in the CBA. Uh, that's what happens there. When, when you collectively bargain that agreement, if you want more player empowerment, that's something that you have to go to the negotiation table and fight for. So, until that CBA expires, this is kind of the hand that you're dealt if your players and teams don't necessarily have to trade you right after you demand a trade and teams are allowed to sit you. They can make that decision to sit you and not let you play until they find a trade partner. And I think that's, as you mentioned, it's all about protecting your asset. These teams understand that if they allow a player, like if the Cavs allow Andre Drummond to continue to play, or the Pistons allow Blake Griffin to continue to play and they get hurt, their value plummets where now nobody is going to trade for them. So now you kind of have to eat that money. And then those are expiring contracts. Well, Blake Griffin has like 38 million next year, but for Andre or two more years at, you know, 35 plus million, but for Andre Drummond, that's an expiring contract. So if you're Cleveland, if he were to get hurt and you can't trade him, 
you lose him for nothing in free agency because you're not going to be able to trade him then. So I can understand the team's perspective. But but I did when Draymond said that, you know, for players, you know, they have to stay in shape. You know, they have to stay professional. Think about this. Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin, the trade deadline isn't until March 25th. So presumably they might not play Aiello for another month. And if they don't get traded for some reason, do the Cavaliers and the Pistons, do they want to even put them back in the rotation and give them minutes? Probably not. It it wouldn't make any sense. So I think really, you know, unless the teams can find adequate trade partners for Andre Drummond and, and Blake Griffin, you know, you're talking about two guys who may spend a month watching games from the bench, waiting for their teams to deal them elsewhere. So I think it's a slippery slope and Draymond does bring up salient points, but if you're a player and you want more empowerment, I think in the NBA, you know, we don't see this as much in the NFL and other places, but the NBA, most of the time when guys want to force their way out, ILO, they get their way and they force their way out. We talk about AD. He got fined for saying that he wanted out of new Orleans he still ended up with the Lakers. Obviously, LeBron, leave. I mean, guys, when they say they want out and they can force a way out, they usually end up getting their way. So again, I think there are both sides here that you can kind of argue in favor of. But if you're the players, if you want more empowerment, that's something you got to fight when you get to the CBA and you get to those negotiations. You got to fight for that there. But if not, I really can't blame teams like the Cavaliers and the Pistons for deciding, hey, we got to sit this guy, preserve him, Find a trade partner because we can't afford injury and we can't risk that because, again, this is a business, as you mentioned, and for teams, that's what they need. Everything is a business decision, and they're not going to allow anything to alter that or get into their bottom line, which is always that dollar sign. You're absolutely right, Andrew. Um, it is a money money league, and the players need to get paid and all of that stuff. The CBA, you know who I really really think is the problem here andrew because players don't act like this they don't uh, teams don't act like toddlers when it comes to i hate using that word with grown men but they don't act like (laughs) toddlers sitting their players because they don't they just want to trade them if anything that's going to diminish their value but here's who i really them damn those agents those Mm. agents that represent the players and i'm i'm rich paul is so good at his job it makes me so angry how (laughs) well he can orchestrate a disaster and just manage it like nothing happened it is incredible the agents are the brilliant people behind this kudos to them because they 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 should be the ones really getting the credit for orchestrating all of this putting their clients not only in the best position for them to succeed and win but for the agents to absolutely cash out, they they can walk into the Bank of America, um, uh, the money counter thing. What's it called? The ATM, right? Yes. They can deposit boatloads of money. The ATM might explode. <laughs> That's how much they can make doing these things. But I, those agents, they are so good at their job. It makes me so angry. And if that doesn't tell you and doesn't measure greatness coming from somebody, how much they make people mad. I mean, you know, and I would, I want to say this too. I think at least for Andre Drummond and Blake Griffin, at least they're getting the heads up that, you know, we're going to end up trading so they can kind of, you know, make those decisions, no. sell your house or sell your apartment, your condo, whatever the case may be, and start to get your arrangements and, and things together 
for when you do ultimately get traded. But I feel bad for some of the guys who don't get that, like guys who find out on Twitter or on ESPN breaking news that they've been traded. So I think that goes back to what you said about being a superstar. When, when you're an all-star, when you're one of the premier players, you're kind of going to get that heads up. And I think Dre was kind of just talking about the other guys, you know, the fact that for most players, they don't have that luxury at any point before the trade deadline, they could be sent elsewhere if a team gets the best deal. So it's, it's really somewhere I respect Dre for, for speaking up for all players. And again, something that I think the NBA, if this is something that the players really want to go into and try and get more power over, then, you know, we'll see what happens when the CBA does expire. But for now, the NBA is, you know, they're a conglomerate and, and it's all about money and, and they're going to make decisions based on their best interests. And unfortunately those best interests aren't always in the interest of the players that they employ. You're absolutely right, Andrew. And, you know, it really sucks, especially for people like Blake Griffin, who at one point was a, a leap machine. He could jump to the sky. And exactly. He was in LA making big money. He was one of the number one selling points in uh, the NBA in the early 2010s when I was 11, 12 years old. And Blake Griffin, when you thought of dunking, you thought of Blake Griffin and the and Lob City and the Clippers. And now he's just been exiled to Detroit. And I feel really bad that he's just he's just turning the player he is, but and they're gonna they're gonna have to trade him. I mean, they have no choice, but yeah, I yellow, I, I will say this. I'm sure there are a list of teams that would take Andre Drummond. That's an expiring contract. Drummond, yeah. Million. If you can, if you can field the 23 million in return, but you mentioned two more years of Blake Griffin, you know, 38 million. And it goes up too. not to mention that <laughs> again. So that's just a heinous contract that even if Blake Griffin still has some juice left, some gas left in the tank to be a, a serviceable, you know, maybe he goes off the bench and he's one of your better bigs coming off the bench. I think maybe his days as a starting power forward are behind him, but he could certainly be a contributor off the bench as a rotation player. I mean, you don't get much better than someone with Blake Griffin's talent and with what he's done in his experience. But yeah, yellow, it's going to take a desperate team, a team that feels like, you know, we're a piece away, but we can't get these guys. So we're going to have to settle for Blake Griffin. But I think the Pistons are going to have to sweeten that deal. They're going to have to add something with Blake Griffin to give teams incentive to trade for that contract. I just cannot imagine a team trading for just Blake Griffin. It's going to probably have to take maybe a first round pick, something to sweeten the pot to get someone to pull that trigger on Blake Griffin. I mean, look, like you said before, it's it's going to be a desperate team. He's on probably the most untradeable contract in the NBA. Uh, somehow, John Wall, we thought he, he was untradeable, and, well, he got sent to Houston for pretty <laughs> much a player swap and a pick. Um, but Blake is going to be a tough one because it's going to be $36 million this year. It goes up to 38 and I, I'm pretty sure it's going to jump to 40 because there's an option in there. I'm, I don't have the contract details in front of me. But I don't know who's going to want to take Blake Griffin unless Detroit can't find anybody, Andrew. I think we're going to have to assume the worst here. They might just straight up cut him because I don't know who's going to want to take that contract. And no team in the NBA, especially with everything that's been going on in the outside world, uh, has the financial backings to take on a contract like that. Now, if it was to trade for a player like Vucevic, who I'll you right now is sky high, but his contract is very team-friendly. It decreases over time. Blake's 
is going to literally be 80% of a team's salary cap. You know, you're approaching that 40 million mark. And I don't know what team's going to want to take that. The only team that I would think is dumb enough to do it is, <laughs> and we're going to talk about them later, is the Knicks because they're the only team that has money. No, you're right. But I don't even think they're going to do it. And I just brought up the contract here on Spotrack. So, yeah, it's two years. But, I mean, this year Blake is getting paid, what, $36.5 million. But, you know, next year it's a player option. And then, obviously, he's an unrestricted free agent in 2022. But you got to ex- – he's going to pick up that $38 million oh, player option. There's going. no no way he's not. So, again, if, if you're going to avoid that and you can come to an agreement – then if the Pistons have to buy him out and come to that agreement, then you wouldn't have to worry about that 38 million anymore. You just have to stretch it out. Well, actually you'd have to stretch it out, but Aiello stretching out 38 million. If let's say we do that over five years, I mean, you're talking about eight to $9 million hit for the next five years for that dead money from Blake Griffin. It just, it feels like for Detroit, they're really in, in a catch 22 either way they lose if they trade Blake Griffin they're not getting a lot back for him if anything and if they buy him out that's just going to be a hit to their salary cap for the next four to five years that they're going to have to wait to get out from under so it's going to be interesting to see what Detroit the likes of Cleveland do with these guys and and maybe if more players speak out uh, about these you know uh, public trades and teams benching players it'll be interesting to see if others feel the same way and start speaking out on it more Aiello one of those guys who ended up forcing his way out was Anthony Davis from New Orleans ended up with the Los Angeles Lakers but AD not at 100%. We saw in that game on Sunday evening to the Denver Nuggets, the Lakers lost that game. But AD exited early with what was told to be uh, tendinosis in his right Achilles. An MRI on Monday has now revealed that it is a calf strain and an aggravation of that tendinosis. Did not show a rupture of the right Achilles tendon, though. So Lakers fans and all Lakers brass uh, – side uh relief there had a sigh of relief and now in a statement the lakers and and anthony davis have said he's going to be out tuesday against minnesota he'll be evaluated and now he's going to be reevaluated in about the next weeks so the lakers will be without their second best player arguably their best player when he's at his best in ad uh you know a top five player in his own right I yellow for the next two to three weeks. Now the, the Lakers are going to have to try and hold water in the West. And we've seen how difficult the West is right now. And we look at the standings, the Lakers currently sit in second at 21 and seven, obviously Utah is off. They haven't lost a game in the month of February. They're winners of eight straight. They're first 23 and five. And right behind the Lakers in third is the Clippers. They're 21 and eight. The Suns are fourth. They're 17 and nine. And then Dame and the Blazers round out the top five. They're 16 and 10. Aiello without AD for the next few weeks until he gets reevaluated. How do you think the Lakers are going to fare in trying to stay top three in the West at least? And what do you expect from LeBron James in this time without AD? Um, I, I can't even begin to process what's going through. Anybody's mind, if you're a Laker player, management, whatever, the league, moneymaker, <laughs> I can't even begin to process what's going through their heads. But 
this is the risk you run with Anthony Davis, who's one of obviously the best players in the NBA. He is a destructive force on both ends. He can do just about everything you ask of him. I mean, look, the Utah Jazz are a very good team. Do we see them as true contenders? Probably not, but they're a very good team. I mean, Phoenix, they're, they're pricks in their own right. Portland's always annoying to, to uh, keep an eye on because they just they do not give up. And who better lead that team than Damian Lillard? And the Clippers, of course, are going to be in the conversation right now. But for the Lakers, it's going to be one heck of a struggle and for LeBron James, we got to turn the dial back to 2007 <laughs> when you could go to arenas and people were screaming and there was a skinny LeBron James who was carrying basically a church league team to the NBA finals to get swept by Tim Duncan, which honestly, you should have no shame in losing to. But this is going to be one heck of a test for the Lakers. And you know what? To be honest with you, if I'm LeBron James, I should go to my team and I say, guys, look. 80s out. It's a big loss, obviously, but we should not be ones to back down from challenges, right? They fought through five months of no sports, literally canceled in the middle of the season when everyone had some sort of rhythm, unless you were a bad team, came back to the bubble, base, were thrown around like uh, clothing in the washing machine. Just It was a vicious cycle of health and staying healthy and fatigue and getting in shape. And they somehow won the championship. So there is no doubt that this Lakers team is hundred percent battle tested and raring to go. Obviously this is a big loss, but I am going to expect a lot of players to step up. I'm really looking at Kyle Kuzma and um, Montrez Harrell to take on some more load. I expect one of them to start at least alongside with uh, Marcus Gasol or whoever the Lakers starting center is. I'm pretty sure it's Gasol. Yes. But those guys, I'm looking at those two especially to step up because Kuzma, when he's focused, is a very good player. And same thing for Montrez Harrell. But when they're not, they're kind of a mess. But I'm looking at those two players to step up, hold it down. LeBron's going to have to do a little bit more than he's been doing. He's going to have to play some extra minutes, I assume. But I have no doubt that the way that this Lakers team is constructed after last year, winning the championship, they somehow got better. I have no doubt that they can hold it down uh, until Davis returns. Yeah. And it's interesting to me because obviously now Anthony Davis, from what we know, AD will be out. Uh, he, he's unlikely to return to the lineup prior to uh, the all-star break uh, between the fifth and the 10th. And and even then, I mean, the the reports were saying that AD was experiencing discomfort in the weeks leading into it, and I think it's a reason why you know his numbers. You know, some people say his numbers are pedestrian. When when you think he's averaging twenty three eight three assists, his PER is still close to twenty five. I mean, that's not very pedestrian. But you can tell that obviously he has been compromised. He hasn't been at a hundred percent. And without a Myello, now you lose your best rim protector on a team who doesn't have much size aside from AD and Mark Gasol. Montrez is undersized at that position. Uh, you can put Kyle Kuzma at the four, but he's still undersized. Really, he's not used to, to guarding guys on the block. So without AD, now you lose essentially your best defender in the paint. 
So it's going to be tough. But, you know, when you look at the Lakers schedule, you know, AD is going to be gone for the next nine games and some notable ones here. I mean, the Nets are going to come to L.A. The Heat will be there. The Lakers are going to have to play the Jazz. They're going to have to play the Trailblazers at towards the end of the month. And the first two games in March before that break, you know, they're going to have to play the Suns. So you're going to have some good competition. It's not Murderer's Row, but it's certainly not Cupcake City for the Lakers. It's a, it's a mix of both. So it's incumbent now on LeBron James. And I think for LeBron, it's interesting because the MVP has kind of ducked and dodged him for so long because I think people have had this, this expectation of his greatness. So when LeBron puts up 28 points, eight rebounds, eight assists, to most that's regular. But I think for any player, any other player averages that and their team is remotely successful, like top five in the conference, you're going to win the MVP. So I think we've kind of taken that for granted. And I think for LeBron, you know, he's averaging 25, eight rebounds, eight assists. He's right there again in year 18. I think this is the perfect opportunity for him. If he can go on a run going into that all-star break and keeping the Lakers right there in the top three in the West and keeping them playing over 500 basketball without AD. I think that really helps kind of secure, kind of put the coffin, uh, put the nails in the coffin for his MVP case, because Aiello, I understand that we're talking about Embiid, uh, the Joker's out there doing his thing. A lot of people like what Donovan Mitchell has done with the jazz. Dame Lillard ain't going nowhere. Um, you know, obviously Giannis, you know, there's usual suspects KD before he got hurt was in the mix, but I think LeBron, when you think about what he's doing in year 18 and now without AD, if he can keep this team chugging along for the next two to three weeks or whenever AD comes back, we don't know how severe it's going to be in two or three weeks, or if he's going to be at hundred percent. I just think if LeBron can keep them in the right direction, that that's got to give him the MVP. And, and in a year, uh, with so much uncertainty and for him as deep as he is in, in the back nine of his career, I, I think th this is something where, you know, if you don't give the MVP to LeBron this year, then when, when are you going to give him the MVP? I think narrative with the statistics, he has the combination. And I think his, his convert, his conversation, his argument is the loudest when we talk about MVPs. I, there's no doubt in my mind. And he has, he has uh a list of to-dos. He has some errands he has to complete until Davis returns. Yep. And the West is not exactly friendly. It's not a, it's not a, if I'm going to use a soccer reference, it's not the German soccer league where it's a three horse race pretty much every the year. Bundesliga. You're right. Exactly. Bundesliga where Bayern Munich is just head and shoulders above everybody else. The West, the top eight could literally make the NBA finals. That's how good some of these teams are in the West. I mean, the East, you've got your top three between Milwaukee, Brooklyn right now, and, and Philly. Uh, I don't know, Toronto, I guess. No, Philly, too. Boston, Philly. Indiana. You know, they're good, but they're not um, They're not the Clippers. They're not the Jazz. They're, they're more the pretenders than contenders. Right. They're, they're pretenders. They're here to win a second-round playoff yes. uh, uh, series. They're not here to win the title. They don't have the firepower. I mean, if we look at a team like the Pacers, for example, I just said, between DeMontis Sabonis and Malcolm Brogdon, as good as they are, that that might get you to game six in the second round. It might. I'm not going to say it is, but it might. If we look at the team like uh, the Phoenix Suns, it's Devin Booker, Chris Paul, and DeAndre Ayton. To me, if that was in the East, that's a conference finals almost a lock. 
And there's no other way for me to put it. That's just the standard of it is between these conferences. But Davis is going to be out. Hopefully it's nothing that's beyond this. We know that those calf injuries um, can be lagging and be naggy and annoying. They can go on for a while, especially if you underestimate them. Yeah, we saw what happened with KD. He had the calf strain that ultimately ended up with him rupturing his Achilles. So that's something that you kind of have to tiptoe around and you can't force the issue. And I'm sure that the Lakers are going to keep AD out for as long as they they think should be the case. I absolutely agree. And if you look at it, there might even be some hangover from the championship. And we saw that. I'm going to use another sport. In baseball, we saw that with the Nationals this year. They didn't exactly have a healthy team. They didn't really seem to care. And, you know, you can point to their pitching was still very good, but not where it was. Juan Soto being out, whatever you want to say, there was still championship hangover because they don't care enough. I'm sure that there's championship hangover with the Lakers. And I'm, I'm sure they're not going to care enough until Davis comes back. And I'm pre- I think LeBron, as much as he's going to tell the team to not back down from a challenge, they might just coast for these two weeks. And you know what? If that helps them get ready for the playoffs and if they somehow come away with a repeat, you can't blame them for doing that. But they've got a lot of things they got to take care of until that time. No, I would just say that five games separate the Lakers at two and the Nuggets, uh, you know, at, at the seventh seed. So, again, depending on what happens, the Lakers could find themselves you know, a few spots down by the time AD comes back. And that's the difference between hosting a first round playoff game and then having to be on the road. But LeBron and that team, I mean, they're championship tested. So you got to think that they'll be prepared mentally for that grind without their second best player. And LeBron James, I mean, when you know him and, and he he's going to tell you, get on my back and I'll take you where you got to go. So for the Lakers, we'll see what happens for them in the next nine games and ultimately when the second half of the season is scheduled and we figure out more on AD's condition with that calf strain, but he'll be out for the next two to three weeks. Aiello, before we get out of here, man, there is one topic that I think you will find rather interesting, uh, a topic that I wanted to save for last. We're going to stay local, but we're not talking about the Brooklyn Nets. I know they're in third place. They knocked down like, 53-point shots in that win against Sacramento. That's cool. 17 and 12, fine, great. But there's another team in New York. They currently stand in sixth place, 14 and 15. Just a game out from being 500. The defense is stout, and they have an all-star among them in Julius Randle and what he's been able to do when we talk about him leading the team in points he's averaging 23 he leads the team in rebounds he's getting 11 a night he's leading the team in assists he's getting almost six this guy's putting up all-star numbers coach Tibbs has just changed the culture really with a snap of his finger this is a different Knicks team a team playing with energy passion they're in sixth place in Aiello from the looks of it those last three seeds in the east might be 500 or below teams that opens the door for a lot of the Knicks fan base they're believing that, hey, we're getting a little deep into it. We're almost at the halfway point, and the Knicks are in the mix. So Aiello is one of the biggest Knicks fans that I know. How, how real is this Knicks team? How seriously should we be taking what the Knicks are doing so far this season? 
I'm not going to say the P word. I'm not going to say the P word. I'm not going to, I've been saying this all year. I'm not going to say the P word. I'm going to say the P word. The Knicks are going to make the playoffs. Uh, let me calm down for a second. No, this season has been um, one of the best that I have seen in a long time. I had to sit through, by the way, six-year-old me had to sit through the Channing Fry, Stefan Marbury, uh, Larry Brown, Ready for this name? Marty Collins. Isaiah Thomas <laughs> yes. led New York Knicks. Oh, man. When Stefan Marbury fought Isaiah Thomas on the team plane, Larry Brown basically backstabbing Isaiah. I had to sit through that. Mello and the Phil Jackson fiasco of, of Triangle Circus. I don't know how I can phrase that. But this Knicks team, Andrew... And we're going to talk about Julius Randle first because he deserves all the credit in the world. Last season was, I think, the most frustrating Knicks season in the last seven or eight years between completely mishandling free agency, um, the things that they came out and said after the miscalculation when Durant and Irving, of course, went to Brooklyn and then the Knicks fans, some of them, most of them actually, uh, pretty much all of them, just kind of bailed on the team. And between Taj Gibson starting, you can say David Fisdale and the things that he said after that 45-point loss to Milwaukee. There's a whole lot of things you can point to. This season, Tom Thibodeau has come in and he said, and he has gone, damn it, I am in charge. Here's how we're going to do it, and we're going to win. He has told them, he has convinced this team, which if you look at it be, at the beginning of the season, would have no chance to do anything yeah. at all. Between Alfred Payton being the point guard, they signed Alec Burks, who was as inconsistent as anything. Julius Randle coming off the season he had. Mitchell Robinson, can he develop? And Tom Thibodeau basically just turned the garden upside down, but I guess somehow it worked. And of all the Knicks things that they can do, this is the most Nickish, but it's the best Nickish thing they can do. And it's crazy how I'm saying this like the way I am, but I'm so proud to finally witness something that I can care about. And, <laughs> and Julius Randle, 23 points, 11 total rebounds, six assists, 41% from three if you want to round it. And he's shooting 80% from the free throw line. Everything has jumped up this season. He has become the star on this team. I could not be more proud of a player going from one of the most hated to one of the most loved. But you talk about the playoffs. And I know that the P word is a sacred word amongst Knicks fans. <laughs> I, I, not yet. I'm not ready to say they're a lock. They're going to have their ups and they're going to have their downs. But if they make another trade at the trade deadline for, uh, I don't know, let's say they swap a Kevin Knox and a Frank Nilakina for, I don't know, give me a player here. Um, who's a guard? Who's uh, a guard? Who are we talking about? I mean, it depends who's on the trade block right now. Yeah. Let's say, let's say, okay. Let's say they turn Knox, Nilakina, and the second round pick into Goran Dragic, or they go out and get, uh, Miles Bridges, somehow, if they find a way, not exactly Miles Bridges, but or like a Terry Rozier, maybe because you know, they have a bunch of guards down there in Charlotte. Right. I mean, if they turn around and get someone like that and they turn nothings into something, then I'm going to tell you they're going to be a playoff lock. But for right now, I'm not ready to say it yet. 
I think they've still got some flaws. One of them, of course, is just general scoring of the basketball. I think you and I, being uh, rec league stars that we are, could go out there and provide some <laughs> scoring prowess on the perimeter. Um, but you know what? I'm, I'm, I couldn't be more proud of the turnaround that they've had. Leon Rose, I call him the warlord. This guy knows what the heck he's doing. And I, I, I just, Andrew, I, I couldn't be more proud of my team. I really couldn't be. No, I mean, listen, on the, Zoom. The, the Knicks have, they've really exceeded everyone's expectations. Nobody expected them to be, you know, a game under 500 at this point. I think a lot of people were expecting them to be right there with the likes of Washington and, and Detroit. And I think it, you got to give most of the credit. You mentioned Leon Rose, but to Coach Tibbs. I mean, think about last year, Julius Randle and how he was playing. He was a lot more selfish, kind of thinking that he had to do more than he really had to. But again, when the team is that bad, you know, and Fizdale's not working out, then Mike Miller is really just there as a, as a placeholder for the rest of the season. I, I couldn't blame Julius Randle for some of the games and the frustration and him thinking that it's really him or bust. But I think this year, Coach Tibbs has really allowed him to kind of shine, be more of a facilitator. And they've put pieces around him where I think he's confident knowing that he can kick it out to RJ or to somebody like Quickly, who has kind of proven that he was a lottery level talent who really just dropped off for whatever reason. Scouts really, uh, and I think CBS Sports is at the head of the table, just wrong on their evaluation of Quickly as a rookie. And then you bring in Derrick Rose. And I thought to myself, you know, how is this going to perhaps maybe potentially stunt Quickly's growth or some of these guards? But Derrick Rose is coming and is really kind of, you know, taking that mentor role and providing that experience in the locker room and helping guys like Quickly and OB Toppin uh, acclimate themselves to the NBA and help with whatever they need. And now again, and then we going back to Julius Randle, he had 44, nine, five assists, seven threes the other night. And again, he was the, he was the first Nick with 45 and five and five plus threes since the aforementioned Stefan Marbury back in 2005. I saw a stat earlier. I think it was the first 40 point game. It, it, it was the first 40 point effort from a New York Nick in like 184 games. That was the longest active drought in the NBA. So the Knicks hadn't even had anyone go off for 40 in, in almost 190 regular season games. So again, this is a different Knicks team. In my opinion, they really are a different team, a different mentality. And it really goes to show you when you change leadership and you bring in guys who understand what is necessary to build a winning team, it does wonders and it pays dividends immediately. And again, like I said, if this is the way the East is going to go, then that means that at minimum, the seventh and eighth seed will have teams at 500 or below. And I think that plays to the advantage of the Knicks. Even if they have a little lull in the second half of the season, I think that will give them enough ground where if they just finish two games within the eighth seed, they're in that play-in tournament, ILO. So I would think everything right now favors the Knicks. Hopefully, if they can stay healthy, if they avoid COVID, as constructed, I think this is a team that's young. They have some ex experienced guys there to kind of balance things out. And with Coach Tibbs, you know they're going to play stout defense, lockdown defense. And once that offense comes around and matches that defensive intensity, this is a team that, you know what, they might not win a first-round playoff series, but they are capable of pushing you to six or seven games and at least making it interesting. And that's what Knicks fans want. They just want to sign in a progression. And that is progression, more progression than they thought they were going to get this year. Look, Andrew, I'm really, I'm just very proud of this team. I didn't expect anything coming in this year. I thought it was going to be more of a slow, grinded out 25, 26 win season. And you know what? They're on pace to 
hit that low 30s, mid 30s win mark right now. Um, but I love the Derrick Rose acquisition and Taj Gibson, how they've come in, almost being adults in the room. I wouldn't say that they're holding the hands of the young players, but they definitely are making the game a lot simpler to the young players, specifically at uh, quickly and Obi Toppin, who you and I have personally seen in person yes. play. And Toppin is going to be a project that's worth waiting for for Knicks fans because right now you can say what you want, his defense, his um, to overall production, you can say what you want about that. But I think how he's learned how to fit into a team system, playing alongside other people is very important. And I'll say this about quickly too. He's also learned how to play alongside Derek Rose and Tom Thibodeau is also able to throw him in there. We saw against the Hawks. We saw this against um, the Houston Rockets. He was throwing him in there with the starters for a bit. And having lineup versatility is imperative in today's NBA. You can't not be successful without lineup versatility. And I just feel like what Thibodeau now has at his disposal, and I think personally he's going to have some more before the trade deadline comes through. I think this Knicks team is going to be a very, very annoying seventh or eighth seed. It's very possible, Andrew. It's very possible. And for complaining just for years about how this team has no direction. And you can even make the argument that this team was better than when the Knicks had Porzingis on the team. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, you can make that argument. You can make that argument. That Porzingis trade is favoring the Knicks right now, especially if the Mavs continue to struggle. And if they struggle even more and they don't make the playoffs, that's potentially a lottery pick. So I don't think the Knicks thought in their wildest dreams that that would be the case at this point. But but again, you meant the Knicks. 14 and 15, I think that's much more than any Knicks fan could have asked for at this point in February. And again, the Knicks, when you look at the next uh, right now, it's at this point, the next seven games, their game against the Spurs this week is going to get postponed because the Spurs four members tested positive on the team. So they're going to miss their next five games, if I'm not mistaken. But when you think about what the Knicks have going into the all-star break, they play the Magic, the Timberwolves, the Warriors, the Kings, the Pistons. So again, this is by the time we get to March 5th into that all-star break, the Knicks could very well be over 500 and at least solidify themselves as a player going into the second half of the season. If they're, if they're at 500 or better, I think that really gives them the mentality, the confidence that we're halfway there and we're right where we want to be. Let's just get to the finish line and make the postseason. So we'll see what the Knicks do. Aiello, I'm happy to see you happy. There's a lot of Knicks fans like yourself who need to be happy and on that note we are going to wrap up this week's episode of pick and pod episode 13 for thomas aiello i am andrew Posadas, telling all of you who fans enjoy the season stay safe stay healthy until next time this is pick and pod and pick and pod of course is a production of wfuv sports